Welcome uh, to this uh, uh, lecture this afternoon by uh, Janet Napolitano, uh, Secretary of U.S. Homeland Security. Uh, my name is Professor Michael Cox. I'm in the Department of International Relations here at the LSE. I'm also a co-director of the Center for Diplomacy and Strategy, which has the name uh, Ideas. Uh, we're delighted uh, to welcome Madam Secretary here this afternoon to the London School of Economics. Just before we came in, she confessed that she'd been to the LSE, I think you said, Madam Secretary, in 1978 for a term. And, uh, I was a child. So I then, <laughs> I then asked if she could change the speech to talk about her memoirs of LSE, but she said she refused <laughs> to do so. Anyway, it's, 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 it's great to have you here, and we're looking forward to your, to your comments. Prior to becoming Secretary, uh, Janet Napolitano was in her second term as governor of Arizona and was recognized as national leader uh, on homeland security, border security and immigration. She was the first woman to chair the National Governors Association and was named one of the five top governors in the country by Time magazine. Uh, Janet Napolitano was also the first female attorney, attorney general uh, of Arizona and served as U.S. attorney for the District uh, of Arizona. There's a much longer biography I could read out here. I won't. I think it's time for me to get away, go and sit over there, and introduce you. And I hope you will give her a good LSE welcome. Madam Secretary, I'm looking forward to what you have to say. Thank, Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. It is uh, good to be back uh, at LSE, um, uh, where I was indeed a student on an undergraduate program for a semester uh, in 1978. Um, I don't think this building was uh, here then. Uh, and they were quizzing me in the back about who my professors were. Uh, and I remembered Philip Windsor very well. Very famous uh, professor. And, and I remember my tutorial piece uh, was on Yugoslavia after Tito. Um, and I only mention that uh, because the world changes indeed very rapidly. And uh, it has changed rapidly since then and continues to change rapidly. And the department that I am the secretary of, I think, probably represents that change as much or more than any other at least in the United States uh, system. Uh, the Department of uh, Homeland Security uh, is the newest uh, department in the United States. It was formed uh, after the attack of 9-11, uh, and it was formed out of the realization that uh, within uh, our government, things were too spread apart, uh, information was not connected as it should be, and there was little realization of uh, new challenges that were uh, facing, uh, facing the United States. So the Congress of the United States took 22 different uh, agencies and departments, um, uh, all of whom uh, had different legacies and histories and, and the like, uh, and put them under the umbrella of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, which is now the third largest of all of the federal departments in the United States. Uh, with uh, almost a quarter of a million uh, employees uh, all told. Uh, and it has uh, a broad variety of missions. Um, but I thought what I would do uh, with you today is, is boil it down for what is it, what is it that we are doing, uh, and then uh, what are some of the current issues that we are working on that I think uh, impact uh, 
students such as yourselves, or I hope are things that that you are thinking about. And then um, uh, we'll we'll leave uh, most of the time for for questions. Um, but uh, going back, I said it was uh, uh, 22 separate agencies, uh, but we basically have uh, four major missions. Uh, one is the counterterrorism mission, uh, and that is to make sure that the United States is never uh, attacked on its own soil again uh, and to uh, bring to bear uh, all of the things that we can in that effort. Um, uh, that is uh, uh, the motivator behind the department. That is the chief reason uh, we exist. Uh, and uh, one of the, the uh, chief uh, uh, challenges that we have is that as 9-11 fades into memory, uh, people get rather complacent, uh, and so complacency is a challenge, uh, even as we face uh, uh, new threats or threat streams uh, on a regular basis. Um, the second uh, major focus of the department is to secure the borders of the United States. Uh, that means um, air, it means sea, it means uh, land, uh, it means uh, uh, things such as uh, the rules governing passengers on aircraft. Um, so I guess you can think of me when you take off your shoes um, or not. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, the rules governing cargo, it means uh, uh, the safety, the organization of the seaports of the United States. The Coast Guard is one of our component uh, departments. Uh, and it means the land borders of the United States, uh, both the border with Canada and uh, the border with Mexico. Um, there, I want to just pause for a moment because um, I don't know how much press it has received uh, over here, but the Mexico itself is undergoing a major transformation and a major struggle uh, between its uh, duly elected government and uh, uh, drug cartels, which are really... Um, uh, while not endangering the, the state of Mexico per se, nonetheless uh, have become quite, uh, quite large, entrenched, and pernicious. Uh, and so part of that southern border that we have responsibility for also involves the efforts against those cartels. Uh, the third major area we have uh, is uh, the immigration laws. Um, uh, we have uh, two responsibilities here. One is to enforce the laws uh, and to do so intelligently and effectively at the border, uh, in the interior of the United States. That's where, for example, we do uh, uh, enforcement at, at work sites where employers uh, continue to hire illegal uh, labor. Um, uh, and it means uh, also uh, that uh, we have responsibility for uh, operating the naturalization citizenship process. Uh, for those who are actually coming into the country legally, uh, and, for, and for those who are seeking uh, to make claims of refugee status or asylum status. Uh, so uh, all of the immigration panoply uh, is in our department. Uh, let me just uh, pause a moment there and say that uh, once uh, I think the uh, Congress is done debating health care uh, in the United States, uh, and that is proceeding. <laughs> It is proceeding, uh, just a little bit slowly, uh, but it's a big issue, and, and, and uh, you can understand the timing when you understand the complexity. But one of the next issues that President Obama wants to take up, of course, is the reform of the immigration laws, 
uh, to match the uh, needs of a 21st century uh, economy and also uh, some of the other things that are involved in, in, in the mass migration of individuals into the United States. And the fourth major area that we have is the preparation for uh, uh, disasters of any type uh, and the ability and the, and the preparation of the recovery and response plans for disasters of any type. Um, FEMA is in the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and uh, many of you will know FEMA because of what happened or did not happen after Hurricane Katrina uh, in, in, the, in New Orleans, in the Gulf Coast area. Uh, but I'm uh, very confident standing before you today saying that the FEMA of today is not the FEMA of then uh, and that uh, we are well prepared and have been uh, responding to natural disasters of many types over the last months uh, from ice storms to tornadoes to uh, earthquakes to tsunamis uh, and all the rest. Uh, no major hurricanes uh, this year, um, but uh, we never know, so we're, we're never uh, overconfident about that. But the other types of disasters uh, we prepare for are those uh, that may be uh, caused by man. Uh, so, for example, if there were to be a biological uh, pathogen, a weapon of mass destruction, WMD is what we refer to them as, introduced into a U.S. city uh, to make sure that uh, there are detection devices available that uh, we have thought about and exercised uh, uh, what would have to happen uh, and, and the like. Um, and so those four major mission areas uh, really comprise, I can put almost everything we do in the Department of Homeland Security in those four major mission areas. Um, as we uh, confront those areas, uh, however, um, there um, are some particular things that we're working on now that I, I think um, deserve our, our attention. Um, first of all, uh, let me just say uh, that uh, even as we deal with those areas, there are certain um, Strategies that kind of cross-cut them. Uh, one is uh, the development of partnerships. Uh, uh, there had been, I think, in the in the United States, um, a feeling that uh, the federal government will take care of this or the federal government will take care of that. Um, and where security is concerned, that that really can't be the way it's done. It's a shared responsibility. Uh, individuals have responsibilities. Um, Families have responsibilities to be prepared or to have thought through what they would do in case of an emergency. Businesses, the private sector, and most importantly, uh, for today's uh, talk's purposes, uh, internationally. Uh, the, the issues that we are dealing with, uh, particularly in the counterterrorism realm and the immigration realm, these are global issues. They are international issues. They require uh, an international approach. Um, it's not surprising that in the last two days I've been in Copenhagen and Madrid. Um, even though my department is named Homeland Security, the plain fact of the matter is, is that the homeland uh, is not, you don't start at the physical boundaries of the United States for what uh, really is involved. Uh, the second is the greater use of science and technology. Um, because uh, where we don't have enough manpower, uh, sometimes science and technology uh, can help fill the gaps. Uh, and uh, we are uh, in the process of you know, really developing or thinking about science and technology in a fundamentally different way 
uh, I think, than we have before where civilian security is concerned. Uh, not military, but where civilian is concerned. Uh, and so that's uh, very, very important. Uh, and then the third cross-cutting strategy uh, is to make sure that the dollars that we get, uh, United States, like the U.K., very tough financial times, budgets are very strict, um, extra dollars, uh, not easy to come by. So we have to make sure that the dollars we have are well spent. And so going through and really eliminating any unnecessary expenditure whatsoever. Um, so, for example, um, you will be pleased to know that uh, we no longer spend th $3 million a year on logo designs. Um, <laughs> we've decided that one logo is good enough for us, so that's fine. Um, so, uh, what are some of the issues, I think, that uh, particular problem sets for us today? Well, one is the whole emerging area of cybersecurity. Uh, we are a network world. Uh, when I mentioned that phrase, shared responsibility, a few minutes ago, uh, there's probably no clearer example of that than the cyber world, because if you're on the network, you're our participant. Uh, and there are good cyber hygiene habits you can have or bad. Uh, there are things you can do to help protect the network or not, things you can do to protect your identity or not. Um, but that's one level. A whole other uh, level is the detection and prevention of uh, attacks on the network, uh, be they uh, viruses or worms that are introduced, such as the Conficker virus that was introduced last year, uh, worms, uh, there was a denial of service attack over the 4th of July, for example, in the United States. But the plain fact of the matter is, is that uh, the critical infrastructure of the United States, 85% of it is owned by the private sector, and most all of that is, is on some sort of a cyber network or another. Uh, and so if you want to uh, uh, do something that would cause disruption, a cyber attack, uh, a cyber uh, type of thing is, is of great concern. And in this area, as you know, um, uh, we don't uh, deal with nation states and we don't deal with geographical boundaries. We are in a new milieu altogether. Uh, and I think we need our newest and best minds uh, thinking about this. We don't even have international protocols, really, governing the cyber arena in terms of a security perspective. Um, and I think uh, moving forward, we certainly will need that, and we're going to need some people thinking about that. Um, uh, secondly, uh, another area that is of great concern to us right now is the trafficking in, in persons, not just drugs, but the trafficking in persons around the globe. And let me be very clear about what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about smuggling. Uh, when, we, when I use the word smuggling, we're talking about just smuggling human beings over a border uh, so they can go to work or what have you. Trafficking is really designed to sell those human beings, uh, either into sexual slavery of some sort, uh, into labor slavery of some sort or the like. Uh, the Department of State uh, estimates last year that 800,000 persons were trafficked around the world, and that's probably a conservative number. That is an international problem. It has not uh, received the kind of attention it merits, uh, and it is something that, uh, again, uh, the current system of, of laws and 
who has jurisdiction and authority and who's going to do what, when, and how uh, is not that easy to, to figure out. But we will and are working on that right now. Uh, and the third issue that we are, uh, I want to raise with your attention is one I will call privacy. Uh, and that is um, uh, the issue that deals with how governments um, share information uh, with each other, uh, information necessary for security purposes but without impinging unduly or at all on privacy rights or civil liberties. Uh, that, is, that is an easier thing to say than it is to do. Um, and uh, how, we, how we accomplish that in great measure is going to be how indeed uh, we, at, we, uh, protect, uh, we protect our peoples, uh, we protect our communities, our states, and our countries. Um, but uh, we're now struggling uh, through this uh, uh, with the member states of the EU uh, because uh, they, have, they come out of a different legal framework on privacy uh, than the United States does. And so part of this is just educating each other about how these things are done, how the appropriate balances are struck. Um, but this is something that, uh, in our view, is quite urgent today to get this uh, worked out so that there is the smooth flow of necessary information for security purposes uh, between countries handled in the right way and protected in the right way. So that... Uh, uh, is uh, my report, uh, Professor. Um, four major missions, three major ways we do it, and a couple of problems we're working on uh, right now. Uh, uh, and I didn't even mention the H1N1 flu, uh, which. Uh, um, but uh, let me just close uh, with this, and this is for uh, the studi- students who, who are here. Um, uh, when I was uh, attending classes here, I never uh, thought that I would be a member of uh, a president's cabinet. I never thought I'd be working in the areas of security or law enforcement or any of, of those things. Um, you know, life takes uh, different turns um, as, you, as you work through. Um, but what I do know is uh, that the, the more that you can uh, experience, the more you can uh, read and think and, and expose yourself to, the better prepared you will be uh, for wherever those twists and turns uh, uh, take you. Uh, and so one day maybe uh, you too will have the, uh, the fortune uh, of coming back. Thank you very much. I'd be happy to take questions. We're going to take some Q&A and we'll go up to about uh, 5 o'clock. I've just seen 15 hands go up. I'll take the man in yellow, if you don't mind being called the man in yellow. Uh, Take the microphone, please. Uh, From what I read, a lot of the drug cartels in northern Mexico, something uh, in the area of 60% of their profits are from trafficking in marijuana. So I'm wondering what you think the uh, security effect of legalizing marijuana would be for the United States. Uh, all right. Ask, uh, next. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, where are you from, by the way? Uh, outside Boston. Okay. He, he means Canada, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
I think that uh, uh, that um, here's the way I, I, I look at it: that uh, these cartels are, are are in it to make money, be they selling marijuana or uh, cocaine. Uh, I don't think legalizing marijuana per se would have any impact on their criminal activities uh, or the safety in in Mexico or along along that border. Um, I do think, however, uh, that uh, one of the reasons the United States has to be engaged with Mexico in this effort is because um, it is our demand uh, that is helping to to fuel these cartels. And, And we can tell that. Because one of the things we've started to do is to check vehicles that are driving south into Mexico as well as vehicles driving north from Mexico. And what we're checking for in vehicles going south into Mexico are guns and and bulk cash. Bulk cash meaning basically bundles of cash uh, that are the product of uh, the drug markets. Uh, and we've picked up uh, quite a bit. Um, so... Uh, it, it, there is a supply issue here. There is a demand issue, and uh, we we need to be working on, on both sides of that ledger. Okay, I need some more hands. Um, yes, the uh, lady here in red. Yeah, I'm, I'm she's got here. an ASU sweatshirt yeah, it's on. Yeah, it's the it's the it's That's Arizona State it's University. The by the way. Please, from. Um, uh, I yeah. was curious about the shared responsibility, um, how your interaction with the state level on securing the border, maybe with, say, Sheriff Joe Arpaio is going. Yeah, I, knew <laughs> I can't go anywhere without well, him. Madam Secretary, could you repeat the question? For yeah, the, the issue yeah. on shared responsibility is what is the interaction of the department with the states? Uh, and she particularly mentions a, a sheriff uh, in, in Arizona who's fairly notorious. Um, <coughs> what, he... Let us uh, not talk about a, a sheriff uh, who um, wants to be notorious. Let's talk about the issue. And the issue is um, how do you manage uh, immigration flows in a border area? Uh, and, th- and this is, you know, the border of the United States and Mexico. We also, this happens in other countries and other places around the world as well. So you have to take a global view of this thing. Um, and the answer, and, you know, and there are lots of ways to do it, but it's a combination. Uh, it's a combination of manpower. It's a combination of technology. Uh, it's a combination of uh, using um, uh, or uh, working with state and local law enforcement in a supervised way to carry out certain specified functions. Um, those are the combinations of things that uh, will help. Uh, but then, uh, uh, in addition to that, um, you know, what will really help is if the immigration laws of the United States are, are, are upgraded and improved, um, because uh, it's a system that is that is gotten creaky with old age, and it and it needs um, major uh, major improvement. Uh, gentleman over here, please. Uh. Hi, Chris Leiter from uh, Philadelphia. Um, I want to ask you two questions here. The first is the H1N1 swine flu. Um, and basically the American people were promised back in July some 150, 100, uh, 100 million different vaccines available by mid-October. Um, but there's only been about 30 million available so far. So I wonder if you can comment on why the service delivery has somewhat failed or um, whether that has to do with 
the different government departments or uh, the manufacturers. And the second question has to is more political, but since you're a former governor and there was an election yesterday, um, really, yeah. <laughs> um, what, what what does it say that uh, two democratic uh, two governorships that were held by Democrats um, in, in New Jersey, which is a heavily Democratic state? Um, lost, and what does that say for the president's political agenda and then the midterm elections for next year? Thank you. Right. Okay. On the, on the vaccine, um, uh, this is a, a great lesson, and I hope everybody writes this down. Uh, it is better to underpromise and overdeliver than the reverse. Uh, now, the plain fact of the matter is, is that nobody ever promised 150 million doses. What they promised was that by the end of October there would be 40 million doses of vaccine. And those numbers came from the manufacturers, which are private manufacturers. And what happened is uh, the CDC, uh, Centers for Disease Control, simply repeated what the manufacturers told them they would have available. Um, and, and, they're, and they're running really now collectively about 10 million doses behind. Uh, they will ultimately catch up over the winter. And, and from a from a historical and biological standpoint, the fact that we are really within a few months of discovering a new virus, having a vaccine for it that is 90% plus effective and only requires one shot is, 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 is rather a miracle. But nonetheless, all these numbers got out there, as, as your question uh, says, and, uh, and, and so people got frustrated. So what we're sharing with people is, um, look, you know, the vaccine will come. Uh, we want to prioritize. In the United States, we're prioritizing pregnant women, uh, children of a certain age, children with underlying health conditions, uh, and we'll work our way through this problem over the next several months. Um, with respect to the elections yesterday, um, uh, you are right. Uh, there was an open governorship in Virginia. It had been held by a Democrat. It went to the Republican, and then the incumbent Democrat in New Jersey uh, lost. Uh, on the other hand, a Republican congressional seat uh, went to a Democrat uh, in upstate New York. Uh, so depending on your perspective, you can kind of spin this election anyway. Um, as a former governor, this is the way I think about it. Um, uh, for, and I think the, um, is that it, it is uh, uh, in this day of really difficult budgets, and I'm talking specifically about the New Jersey race right now, uh, uh, governors have to make very, very hard uh, calls. Uh, and when you have to make those kind of hard calls, sometimes that um, uh, doesn't pay off in, in the voting booth. Uh, mm -hmm. And so um, uh, I think that's one of the major factors that, that occurred there. I, I'm having a hard time. I know there's a, uh, a desire to extrapolate from that to, uh, the, uh, to uh, President Obama. Uh, and while I'm, I'm sure he would have liked Corzine to win and, and the Virginia seat to go to a Democrat, it, governor's races are fundamentally different than federal races because uh, the issues are different. So I, I think the congressional race, however, is of particular interest. Okay, thanks, Mark. Uh There's a gentleman just behind you there. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Don't go too far. There we go. There we go. <laughs> um, Secretary Napolitano, uh, I'm from upstate New York, and I'm very happy that it's going more Why progressive. Why am I constantly choosing Americans? What's going on here? <laughs> we have some vested <laughs> interests here, you know? <laughs> I think it's mainly, yeah, it's I great. I got a sense here. Okay. Well, no this is maybe going to be a little bit of a harder question, or I guess a request. Okay. There are a lot of gay Americans who are disappointed 
in the Obama administration's failure to act on Don't Ask, Don't Tell, to support uh, progressives in Maine in this last election, to come out strongly against Prop 8 California. I guess what I'm asking is, I'm not expecting Barack Obama to change the world overnight, although I guess maybe we were all hoping that he could. Um, I'm wondering, at least as far as you're concerned, in the Homeland Security Department in immigration, will you commit, will you please commit, (laughs) to at least opening up the borders to gay and lesbian Americans and their spouses? Because right right now, straight Americans can bring in their spouses from overseas, but gay and lesbian Americans can't. That's one of the reasons that the LGBT community in the U.S. is working so hard for uh, equal access to marriage. Yeah. Uh, I thought you were going to ask a somewhat different question, which was um, uh, admission of those that are HIV positive, which is something that we actually control and um, have uh, uh, amended that or eliminated that restriction that had existed. Um, with respect to uh, the marriage issue, um, you know, uh, let me not drive outside uh, the lane uh, that I'm here to speak about today. Uh, uh, marriage is a term defined in law, in American law, etc. And until either that has changed or the Congress changes the fundamental immigration law, which we are working on now, uh, uh, there's not a lot more that, that we can do. Now, there are certain other uh, exceptions in, in the law that reflect different types of situations in an immigration context, uh, but uh, to, to say that we can snap our fingers and just do it as a departmental edict, we don't have that power. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to introduce a British voice into this, me. Um, your your talk began, Madam Secretary, with 9-11 and many of the issues you then dealt with were not really about terrorism, they were about a whole they could be connected Uh, this is almost an impossible question maybe it's more general but can one make an assessment now today that uh, since 2001, since September the 11th 9-11, America is safer is it about the same or what? No, I think what we we can say um, is that America is definitely safer. Uh, Uh And it is safer because uh, we do a better job of uh, connecting the dots. Uh, When you read the 9-11 Commission report, one of the key (coughs) criticisms was that there had been a failure of imagination, Uh a failure to really think about how someone who really wanted to do the country ill uh, could go about doing it. Uh, and um, uh, I think that those boxes, those boundaries have been uh, broken uh, to, to a large degree. That's why, for example, I raised the issue of cybersecurity with you. Um, that's a new kind of way that somebody who wanted to uh, disrupt our values, disrupt our, our society uh, could act. Um, but that is not the same uh, as saying Uh, nor do I think you would expect that there is a 100% guarantee in this world, either here or there or anywhere. Um, All you, uh, you know, what what you really focus on 
intellectually and operationally is how you, you assess risk, you measure risk, and you reduce risk. Uh, and that really is uh, kind of the key thought process uh, in that counterterrorism issue that we deal with. Mm. Thank you very much. Okay. Where, where's the people with the microphones? Ah, there's a gentleman up there. Uh, yep, gentleman here just on the left, by the lady in red, so to speak. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much. So, so. Uh, thank you. Uh, George from Norway. I just had a question uh, about Guantanamo prisoners. Uh, what are you going to do with them? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what you call a Norwegian question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very direct. Uh, short, succinct, <laughs> and to the point. Yeah, no ambiguity. The, uh, the, the president uh, has an executive order that, that Guantanamo shall be closed by uh, January 22nd. Uh, we're still operating under that order. It hasn't been changed or amended. Uh, there have been um, agreements reached with some countries to take some of the detainees. Uh, there are agreements being negotiated with other countries to take some of the detainees. Uh, and then uh, there is a, um, a, a series of uh, negotiations underway in the United States with respect to which detainees uh, should be tried within the United States itself. So uh, one of the, the first things that had to happen uh, when the president took office was to actually go through each detainee's uh, records, case by case by case. They're, they're not all in identical situations, um, and really make uh, uh, determinations. And, and, th and this effort has been led uh, by the attorney general, but make determinations as, okay, what would be the ideal uh, placement of this detainee, movement of this detainee, so that um, uh, Gitmo or the prison side of Gitmo can be closed. So that, that's all underway right now. I think we can take two more very quick questions. There's a lady in the front here. Yeah, please, right in front. Okay, for time at the moment. Please. Madam Secretary, thank you for coming. I'm, is this on? I think so. Um, I'll, I'll repeat the question. Um, Sheila Korth, fellow Truman Scholar from Nebraska. Um, I, I was a Truman Scholar. Um, that's why you mentioned that, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask um, if DHS is working on um, security related to climate change, or if any departments are working on that right now? Yes, uh, indeed, we are uh, working on security issues related to climate change, um, which is, you know, when you think of climate change, you might not normally think of security, but indeed, there is a very, there is an aspect of climate change that is very much uh, a security related aspect. Uh, we also are working on Arctic policy. Uh, why, in part, as I mentioned before, the Coast Guard is uh, part of our collection, uh, part of our department, uh, and they're really uh, the, uh, the lead or one of the lead uh, departments on, on Arctic, and of course Arctic policy involves climate change as well. So the answer is yes. Okay, I think we might just take one last question, I think. Um, the gentleman in the front here. Yeah, if we just bring it over here. Oh, no, no, over here, sorry. Um, and this will be the last question, I'm afraid. I know many other people have had their hands up, but time is short. Please I'd like to ask you something about uh, sharing information between the intelligence services. Say again, please. The the sharing information between intelligence services. Yeah. Sharing. Sharing, yeah. sharing information, that's right. You mentioned that uh, just, uh, when it was a 9-11, it was also somebody said it was lack of information. That, that, that's why what was happening, you know, that. I mean, it's, it, it's not that explanation. But after, uh, as I know, now, now you have a 22 intelligence in, in, in your community, you have 22 uh, services here. So is it now better information, sharing information between the services or not? 
and you have DNI, you have a director of national investigation, you know, so it is, somebody said it is bureaucratic, somebody says no. So I would like to know, is it better now or not? Yeah, uh, the question is, uh, if 9-11 was the failure of intelligence sharing, is it better now than it, it was? Uh, and the answer is, it is better. It is, it is not perfect. This is a work in progress. And, and intelligence sharing has to happen at several levels. One is in the international arena, as I suggested in my talk. Uh, and that's you know, one of the things that, for example, tomorrow, uh, one of the things that brings me to London is there's a meeting of a, the G6 plus one, uh, and the United States being the, the, the plus one, but it really will be discussing information sharing uh, uh, in that arena. A second area where it needs to be shared is, is among the huge federal government of the United States. And as you mentioned, there's not just, just us. There's the DNI. There's the FBI. There's the NSC. There's the CIA. There's, you know, there's a whole alphabet, the NCTC, National Counterterrorism Center. So there's a, you know, there's a whole alphabet soup of agencies whose job it is to collect information and ostensibly to share it amongst each other. Uh, and that is uh, much better than I've ever seen it before. Uh, but it's, it's not perfect, and that's something I think that deserves um, more work and even more thought about how you do that. Then the, uh, the third area, and this is where we are focused, is how do you share that uh, intelligence internationally or, or among the federal family, get it out to state and local governments, get it out of Washington, D.C., get it out to the country uh, where things could actually be occurring, uh, or where uh, uh, threat streams or different types of things need to be watched out for. Um, and there, uh, uh, I think we're still, in some respects, uh, not in our infancy, but perhaps our early adolescence. Uh, we're still really figuring out the best way to do that. How do you share, for example, uh, let's say you have something that is classified information. Uh, how do you share that when there are 90,000-plus law enforcement departments in the United States, right? So logistically, it becomes a very difficult question. We've dis we've, we've, uh, we have ascertained a strategy on how to do that and a plan for how we're going to get that done over the next several years, but, but we have not yet imp implemented it fully. So uh, uh, much work has been done in, in the wake of uh, uh, some of the intelligence gaps uh, after 9-11, um, but I think much more remains for us to work on uh, as well. Okay, yeah. thank you very much. I just want to um, firstly say, I nearly said welcome, but welcome back mm -hmm. uh, to the LSE. There's been a long, warm connection between the LSE and the United States, as you may have gathered. Two-thirds yeah. of the questions came from, from American students. Um, there's two little things I, I need to say just at the end. The first is a request. The next time you're sitting around the cabinet table, could you have a quiet word with President Obama and say to him that the next time, the, when he comes through London next time, he'll come to the LSE? <laughs> uh, and, the, uh, and, uh, and the second thing is, we always award prizes. Unlike the Norwegians, we can't give you the Peace Prize. <laughs> However, yeah, what's that However about? Yeah. we can award you the LSE cap. Oh, uh, 
The Senate CCAP has a very long and fine tradition. The first person, by the way, Madam Secretary, to whom it was, uh, it was given, donated as present from the school, was to Nelson Mandela. So you stand in a very long and wonderful tradition. Oh, so it's over to you.